0: and welcome to the Intralingo World Lit podcast where we explore and open up to different ways of seeing and being in the world through books. I'm Lisa Carter, founder and creative director of Intralingo. And today my guest is Margaret Davis-Gilmetti, who is the author of Bravish, a memoir of a recovering perfectionist. So welcome, Margaret.
1: Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It really means a lot to me.
0: Oh, I'm so happy. And last night you had the big book launch. Your book just came out. How was the launch?
1: Fantastic. I was really grateful that Women and Children First, which is Chicago's feminist bookstore, um, agreed to do the launch. Uh, and it was fantastic. My core conversation partner is the co-owner.
0: Okay. Whom I know
1: from our book group, I belong to Women Aging with Grace and Wisdom. Not nice. sure about the wisdom part, but uh, we try. And fantastic books, fantastic conversation. So I'm very happy to have the book launched. That's part of the author's dream.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, it was the first time that I'd heard of the bookstore. Um, you know, you are from Chicago, so it makes sense that, that you launched the book there, even though you're currently in Switzerland.
1: Right. My husband's from Switzerland, and we decided to come over to spend some time in the peaceful outdoor zenith of Switzerland and to spend time with his uh, 92-year-old dad and family and have stayed on um, and just enjoying it very much.
0: That's good. That's great. Well, it looks like an amazing bookstore, and I'll I'll definitely be uh, adding a link to it as well and checking it out further. Um, It's got a really great mission.
1: I completely agree. They're very active in protecting parts of our community that need protection and promoting all people. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan. It's a great bookstore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for introducing me to it. It's uh, good to know. Um, You know, I wanted to start by saying, Margaret, um, you know, we've said this briefly on social media. It's the first time that we're meeting, but I actually feel that you are, a true kindred spirit.
1: Mm.
0: There's been an incredible connection in reading your memoir. Mm. And for so many reasons, which we will get into. But first, I just wanted to ask you what is that like for you as an author, as a memoirist, to really bear yourself, to open yourself up like that and have people connect in such a deep way when they don't even know you? Mm.
1: Well, honestly, Lisa, that is why I do art. Um, My goal is always to connect with other humans. Uh, In terms of opening myself up in such a candid way, uh, I learned really to do that, first of all, through our 20 years living mostly outside the United States, Mm -hmm. because what I didn't know when we started to to live overseas was the piece of the puzzle i was missing i was very open-minded and well-traveled and multilingual etc cetera, etc cetera. what i wasn't skilled at was asking for help mm-hmm. and accepting help and that really needs a certain vulnerability that i didn't know how to have so mm-hmm. i developed that over the course of the book and subsequently in my creative expression in the past 10 years or so Uh, When I do live lit storytelling or when I've done my solo show, it's so cheering to me when someone approaches me after I tell a story to say, you know, thank you for talking about infertility. My sister went through that and I had no idea. Or thank you for talking to me about the death of your parents. Um, I'm going through that too. So to make connection with people is that's the reason I do any art that I do. That's, that's my why. You and I mm-hmm. were talking about the why that, that you have. And my why is to make connection, s- see if I can help people know that they're not alone, see if I can ex- inspire people to live their own life, mm-hmm. uh, and also to entertain. I do love to entertain people with particularly my travel misadventures. Um, so I tried to balance the really vulnerable aspects of my life, which I think some people really can relate to, um, with the, you know, foibles of Mm. any human being walking this planet.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really great description of your book, too. You know, it is, it is part travel log travel adventure stories uh, it's all about cultural adaptation or or misadaptation <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's about um you know and and i'm going to jump right to the end of the book here and we will come back to the beginning but you know what you say in the end and and you know it really just basically you said me you said what i do you said that in discovering the world you discovered yourself mm. And there is something about, um, about travel, about seeing different places and different people that reflects uh, our own experience or contrasts it in such a way that we can see ourselves more clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely
1: agree. I feel that, uh, as you know from the book, I've never been someone who felt completely grounded where I grew up as much as I love my hometown My mom always said, I had one foot at home and one foot out in the world. That's the way I'm built. And Mm -hmm. the world fascinates me every day. I love the world. And as you know, I started to write the book in reaction to a certain presidential election a few years ago where I felt that we were being told that the other is bad. And the other is not bad, in my experience. The world is not my enemy and that's mm. a large part of what I wanted to sh- share with people initially is the beauty of what you said, what I've learned that I would never have learned if I stayed at home. Uh, There's so many lessons and joys I learned in between is the challenges, absolutely the challenges, mm-hmm. but I agree with you. I think you and I are trying to do the same thing to share the abundance of the larger world. Um, I don't have a lot of interest in, Staying just in my county or within my state lines it 's mm-hmm. just not me it 's for other people I completely understand, but it 's an amazing world, and I love sharing it with people
0: mm. yeah that is that's so perceptive as well you know that it feels like definitely you know this is the wave that started maybe you know with the last presidential election and is sort of amplifying as as this one is underway. Um, you know this notion of being insular and um, protective and sort of tribal, and um, and it is something I think that needs combating. It's not just in the U.S. It's many places mm-hmm. in the world. Um, but we are so much poorer if we uh, are not looking to others.
1: I completely agree. Absolutely mm-hmm. agree. It's one of the biggest richness richnesses. Is that a word? No, I'm a writer. I should know that's not a word. (laughs) Whatever the word is that approximates that, it's one of the richest parts of my life, is being able to really learn from and enjoy and benefit from and share um, the richness of the world.
0: Mm, yeah, for sure. So that is where your your memoir begins. It does begin sort of with, you know, as I say, it's more of a travel log at the beginning. Here you are. You're in Chicago. Your husband Patrick is uh, in the hotel industry, and off you head to Paris and to Cairo, and from there to Charmel Sheikh and. Chiang Mai, and Bangkok, and Singapore, and there are all these incredible places. Um, do you wanna tell us just a little bit about how you, you traveled before, of course, but this was really when you, you set off to live abroad? Mm-hmm.
1: I had lived abroad briefly. Uh, I finished college in a hurry because I couldn't wait to start traveling uh, and spent most of the year being an au pair and a year rail pass Person, So I had already that experience. But that's, of course, very different from actually trying to create a new life in a new setting. Mm. So I was quite unprepared for that. Honestly, if I could have at the time when I was so in 2000, could have continued traveling a lot with Patrick, I would have been quite happy, but he has always loved being an expatriate, mm-hmm. left Switzerland quite young, loved Switzerland, but needed to see the world and wants to be inside of culture as much as he can. And this opportunity rose for him. I mean, a global hotel company like Four Seasons, I know you're, <laughs> we loved our professional life with Four Seasons it was inevitable that we were going to move around the world. And I said yes to that, not unwillingly, but it's probably not what I would have chosen. Looking back, I'm very glad we did it. But I was unprepared for how challenging it was and how different it is to try to create a life as opposed to visit someplace and then leave again. Mm -hmm. Um, As I've already said, the biggest challenge was that I didn't know then to really ask for help, yeah. um, advice to my younger self. And I really didn't have an idea how to express my emotions. So when I, I didn't even know when I was feeling lonely and sad and angry and bewildered that I could share that with people. People would understand, or they wouldn't, but they would support me. So even my closest friends in reading the book now are saying, I'm so sorry if I'd known Mm -hmm. I would have been there for you. And I say, I know that now (laughs) I just didn't feel it was appropriate. Thanks to the family handbook for me to uh, burden people with my genuine emotions. Mm -hmm. So I had to really learn that. I think that was the biggest difference between being a traveler and setting up a life in another place is it's, it's different. It's different for anyone who moves and then it's different in a different culture with different roles and rules there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I just, I wasn't prepared for the reality of it and I thought I was. (laughs) So that of course compounds it.
0: Yeah. I, I totally can relate to that. I, You know, I've lived in different places as well. I left, you know, fairly young. Um, and you write these lovely letters home about all of the exciting and amazing okay. things that you're doing. And, and that's what everyone thinks life is like. And you tend not to write when you are depressed and lonely and have messed up in ways you don't understand because it's cultural or all these other things and it's, it's, very, it's very hard to express the negative and you, you bring this up as well because everyone says, oh, you live this incredible life and to a certain extent they are living some of their dreams through you and it's hard to share the reality. Mm -hmm.
1: I completely agree with that. And even uh, that was actually true for a lot of people who wanted to put that on me. Those are the people I really felt were trying to tell me, oh, you're so lucky and don't don't tell us anything negative. We won't believe it. My genuine friends I know would have really welcomed my feelings with open arms. I just didn't know that that was appropriate. I also Mm -hmm. think there was, I felt a huge pressure myself Never to criticize another place or another people because I didn't ever want someone to misunderstand. I didn't want to be disloyal to the host country. Um, I didn't want someone to have a reason to dislike the place I was living or the people. I Mm -hmm. didn't have the wisdom at all to separate out, wait, I'm just having my emotional experience as a human. I'm not criticizing this other place. Mm-hmm. that i had to learn over time that it's okay to tell people things aren't going well it doesn't mean that you're slamming a particular culture or place that that took me yes. a long time to understand
0: yeah and and that can get very confusing too because again it it seems like that generalization and yet know the world is a wonderful place but that doesn't mean that everyone in the world is wonderful and you know we can have negative experiences (laughs) with individuals
1: exactly Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah and as you say a big part of this book is is the handbook the family handbook in this case it was the davis family handbook these unwritten rules, these ways that we are supposed to be that are familial or cultural. Um, it's not a written rule book, but we, we take on these rules. And I think every family has them. And we don't recognize that so much of our behavior is conditioned.
1: Completely agree. And I I have to say that was one of the greatest gifts uh, as a writer because I knew once it occurred to me that I was writing a memoir and not another solo show of traveler's tales. It's like, Oh my gosh, look, I'm writing a memoir. I didn't even know that myself. It, it told me. And I knew where I was starting when we leave the United States and I knew where I was ending, which was the current day essentially, but I didn't know what was going to hold this together. And then in one of these wonderful divine inspiration, middle of the night, hope you have a pad of paper next to the bed, (laughs) I realized, oh, a handbook. As you say, everyone gets one. It's not written down. Everyone's is different. In its best sense, they're a wonderful compass, a wonderful, or at least for my family, a wonderful moral compass, but an extreme, like any good quality can be quite debilitating. I needed to see that those were, as you said, the rules I was living by, become conscious of them. And then my goal has been to take the best parts of them and to release the, the rest. What I found very cheering with readers of the book is people saying just what you said, oh, we got one too. Um, and also realizing that in my case, I really knew it wasn't that my parents had written it in order to torture me. <laughs> they also inherited a handbook and were doing the best they could with what they had, that old adage. And so I wanted to be really aware of how it had impacted me and was impacting me as I traveled around the world and see how I could revise it. And it's been very exciting to talk to readers to see what was in your hand- family handbook. And I've heard people say, you know, one word, work, or another word, silence, which I almost start crying just thinking about that. It's that they are, as you said, so powerful They're They're not just rules, they feel like commandments. Um, so thank you for pointing that out. That's been, that, that realization is what allowed me to write the book because I wanted to show the narrator's journey from realizing she had a handbook to, oh gosh, I want to revise the handbook.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. There's so much there. I want to say, um, pick up on, you know, a hundred percent. It, you know, it is our parents received their own handbook and their parents received their own handbook. And, and it is a hundred percent. I believe about becoming aware um, that self reflection, realizing why we're behaving the way we're behaving, and then making a conscious choice. Do I want exactly. to continue to do that, or would I like to shift my behavior? Mm-hmm. And that's not easy. No. Not easy.
1: <laughs> <That's> not
0: easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny. I, I wrote out my own handbook after reading the book. Um, You know, just just a a few things because well, many of them are, are the same as yours, you know, don't air your dirty laundry which comes in many forms, you know, that's, as you say about, um, keeping silent, don't express emotion and that work Mm -hmm. piece, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's maybe of a certain generation as well, Mm -hmm. but, um, (laughs) it's universal. A lot of them, a lot of the handbook rules. I
1: think that's true, because I do think they come from, it's kind of like the Ten Commandments, no matter what someone's faith background is, these are overall good rules to have. I mean, I think it's the handbook is overall a good idea. Uh, Someone did ask yesterday on the book launch the question, what handbook would I do now? And it occurred to me, not I revised it, as Mm -hmm. I say, at the end of this book, but also started to write a different handbook, which is a lot gentler a lot gentler. First of all, as I say, ask for help, accept help, have more fun, Mm. less work. I drive myself hard all the time. My mom, while she did give me the handbook, was always saying to me, get into the right lane, you know, let people smell the roses, essentially.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, So someone said to me, I'm going to give you the title of gent-ish. And I think that's a a (laughs) good goal to go for for me, because I do, as you say, it's, it's pervasive. I still tend to slide into some of those rules because i know there will be an immediate emotional payoff if i do the old stories that old payoff is like a it's like a jolt of oh i know what i'm doing now
0: Mm. yeah for sure and you know i think it it comes as well um well, everything is a process, you know, it's Thank a process you. to take Thank these God. on. It's a process to let them go, right. you know, becoming who we are is, is mm. a process.
1: Thank God. Right.
0: Yes. <laughs> better,
1: better late than never. I keep telling myself. Totally, 100%.
0: Yeah. It's so true. I think, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about in, in the book as well is that, you know, when you, when you left Chicago, you know, you had been working as well. Uh, As you move overseas, you take on these new roles, as you call them of of trailing spouse and, and minister of domestic affairs, (laughs) you know, which. um, It it can be hard not to work. It can be hard to change our identity uh, whether we move jobs or, or, professions or the way we see ourselves and and often I think we we grab on to ways to to have purpose. Exactly. Thank
1: you. That's perfectly said because a lot of people were oh you're so lucky you don't have to work right now and I said I really recognize a life of privilege that I have led. I really do recognize that and appreciate it. But to be suddenly without a business card, without a professional identity Nature abhors a vacuum, so you're right. I filled that hole immediately with these perfect this and perfect that, so Mm -hmm. that I would feel a sense of purpose. I would get the feedback that I was um, missing—external feedback. At that point, Uh, that's still, I think, a danger for me. As you say, it's it's Mm -hmm. always a work in progress. But to be careful to look at what I've learned, which is to try to ask myself, what do I genuinely want? And I wish that for anyone, I don't have any investment in what for someone else is a, is a fulfilling life, but to be honest with ourselves, what do I want and what can I try to do about it within the circumstances I'm in, as opposed to automatically plugging that hole mm-hmm. inside me with something that will plug the hole, but it, it doesn't fill the void.
0: Mm-hmm. And asking ourselves what we want is also a really difficult question because we, <laughs> you yes. know, we don't often take time to do that or to discover what it is we really want because, you know, we are uh, working or having a family or whatever it is that we're doing, all, a combination of all of the above. Um, And uh, it can be startling to then have that time and and be made to ask that question.
1: That's a great word, startling, because I I used uh, bewildered a lot, but startling is a much, I wish I had talked to you before I finished the book (laughs) because that's exactly what it was. I was startled. I wasn't anticipating that at all. And again, I really recognize what a luxury it is. There's never a day that I didn't, recognize that. But I was startled by, I, I don't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a sense of who I was at that point. So the what do I want piece really has to do with, to quote Mary Oliver, what will we do with this one wild, precious life? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really part of what I'm hoping to inspire in other people is to give some thought to what's, what are dreams that I have deferred what are the emotional payoffs that I've been fulfilling that give me the very legitimate excuse to defer this dream? And am I ready to set those aside in order to fulfill a dream or to live the life that I want to live? Mm-hmm. That's definitely my hope with this book that maybe people will give some thought to, oh, okay, I see that. Maybe maybe I can be brave enough to try to do things differently for a a greater expression of selfhood.
0: Yeah. And and I love that as well, just the title of the book, Bravish, you know? Thank you. Because (laughs) it's, you know, we sometimes think we have to be be all in, or I, you know, I keep saying we, and really, you know, that I'm only talking about myself, (laughs) coaching it so much easier. Um, But, you know, I think I have to be full on brave and full on, as you say, uh, culturally accepting and, and full on open or whatever it is and adding this ish, just you know, makes it that a little bit gentler, gentler on ourselves.
1: Mm. Um, I'm glad that you see it that way. That's definitely how that came about, was realizing, wait, I learned to not be 100% brave. mm -hmm. So to be bravish does feel like enough. That's all I expect of anyone else. So I've come to expect that of myself as a flawed human being, I get to Mm -hmm. be another human being, as opposed to somehow thinking I'm a... Well, you read about me with the superwoman cape and the, you know, the yeah.
0: crown and uh, no,
1: <laughs> I don't want any of that.
0: Yeah. And yet you are incredibly brave. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit about your your journey to storytelling as well. When you left and, um, you know, one of the things you were most excited about was time to write. You were You were going to write your book. You were intending to uh and easy as anything to set that aside and it got sublimated but at some point then you and patrick decided to take improv mm-hmm. and that, that was to one vibrate. of the most
1: fun, absolutely that was one of the most fun things i've ever done in my life um when people read about my dad you'll see that he's really had the spirit of improv he was always ready to riff And I take that from him. So that was, and I love to be in community. I love to be, as we've said, in connection. I love to be on a team. And improv is all about yes, and, you know, Mm -hmm. someone says a giraffe just walked in. Yes, and I love giraffes. Um, So I love that whole spirit. And it was fun. Uh, With my new handbook, fun being a part of it, that really was a nice break. And it was a nice break at a time when my parents health was really declining. I needed something that was not just sadness Mm -hmm. and we both really enjoyed it. And as you say, what happened with the storytelling is I thought I'd do more improv. They didn't have anything available. I, on a whim signed up for storytelling. It was absolutely love at first sight. Uh, And it really gave me the opportunity to share, particularly initially my travel stories, um, with an audience that would say, "Gosh, you don't look like the kind of person who would go up into a tower filled with rabid monkeys," but um, I guess you are. Or, "Gosh, you don't look like the person who would ride her bicycle into a canal in Bangkok," but evidently you are. And it was really fun for me. But it was also a, an effort to combat the handbook that says, "Also, don't stand in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. That's that's too much." Um, you, know, you can be a, a supporting role or a, a I don't want to say a bit player, but to stand in the spotlight w- was really a challenge for me uh, in my personal growth. But what, as, as I shared earlier, what I loved was people's response when mm-hmm. I started to get even more honest um, and vulnerable in my storytelling, how responsive people were. I think we're all hungry for stories because they do connect us. And I just, I love that. I love Mm. that.
0: (laughs) That is so incredible, you know, and it's, um, it is one thing to tell stories and I think it is, it's another, it's a, it's an entirely different skill, but also, um, reaction to as you say stand on stage in your case the moth stage often you know competing um live lit it is such an incredible um event and connection to be right there with you know, listeners, um, very unlike a book that goes out and you don't always know what the reaction is.
1: That's very true. That's a great observation. It also really helped me to start to let go of imposter syndrome, the feeling Mm -hmm. that I wasn't a creative person that I still at the beginning kept saying, oh, I'm a Still the uh, Minister of Domestic Affairs, or I'm used to things I used to do, still taking my identity elsewhere. And I started to practice saying to people in line, people, we'd be waiting to get into the moth to buy tickets. And uh, what do you do? I'm a storyteller. Mm. And I would practice saying that and standing in that and that grew and that allowed me to grow into, now when people ask me, I'm a writer, I'm an artist, I'm a creative person, I feel I can say that now, but I needed to flex those muscles. So definitely storytelling helped me on a lot of levels. It also really helped me in writing because as you know, as a someone who really loves books, to read anything out loud is, is very different than to write it. So I was trying to bring the live lit feeling to the book as much as I could to bring the book alive and keep it in present tense and keep it storytelling in that way. And I also did that with the solo show as much as I could. Of course, there are some flashbacks, but I wanted the, as you say, the immediacy of having the audience with me. I wanted the audience and I still do with me on the journey. I wanted the audience to be worried about the narrator is she ever going to re- write that doggone book? You know, she's <laughs> carrying that freaking journal. Is she ever going to write the book? I wanted people to be worried. And a lot of people have yes. told me, yeah, I, that narrator, come on, write the book. I'm like, I know, I know. Yes. So I like the immediacy of it, as you say, connecting
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, I've talked to a number of authors since the whole COVID um, pandemic began, and it is the thing that everyone is missing the most because they cannot be in a room with readers when they are launching their book, and it is, it's so difficult, and yet, thank goodness for for Zoom and other technologies that (laughs) allow you to still, you know, speak to readers. Mm
1: -hmm. I agree. And since my life has been international, quite honestly, having uh, the book launch on Crowdcast allowed people to attend from all around the world, which they wouldn't have done. So in that regard, as much as I missed the molecular excitement of being with humans, it did allow me to connect with a lot more people in other areas. So yes, we do miss we miss being with our people, though.
0: Yeah, that is definitely a blessing, as you say, because you know exactly as someone who you know has people in many places, friends and family, mm-hmm. um, it's it's hard to get together uh, in in yeah. real life. Mm-hmm. It is, <laughs> yeah, True. yeah, True. yeah. You know, I think as I said, one of the things that I love so much uh, about your book is is this never-ending process of getting to know yourself and um, as you go along and even though you recognize that you have the handbook and you change certain things by choice to be who you want to be this process of living your own life um it took time it is taking time it will take time (laughs) yes Yeah, thank
1: you for saying that, because I think one thing that has helped me with that is when I realized, oh, as I say, I thought I was writing another solo show. It appears that I'm writing a memoir, Mm -hmm. and I really was panicky because I thought I'm too old to, to do this. And I realized, wait, on the contrary, by virtue of having gotten the silver hair and living to this age, my life has been writing the book. It's just up to me now to write it down. But it is absolutely a process. I, I, I don't ever hope to get to the point where I'm stagnant in terms of personal growth. I still have so much to learn from other cultures, from personal growth, from other humans, from beautiful books. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love to learn new things. That I don't think we're ever done
0: Hmm. I hope not. I hope not too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and it, but it is. It's such a tricky um thing. Or I, I have found it to be that I always think that when I get here, I'll I'll figure it out. Right. Once I <laughs> understand this about myself, or you know, um, I'm in my fifties, and and I always say to my partner, shouldn't I know myself by now? Like, how long does this take? (laughs) and what's the response that you get he's he just shakes his head quietly (laughs) yeah what a wise person (laughs) he is he's very wise he's incredibly introspective and i do believe that it's you know it's thanks to him that that I've gone on, you know, my own personal journey as well, because it certainly was in my handbook that you just forge ahead, you know, this whole introspection, looking at yourself. I mean, who has time for that, that... (laughs) That brings up emotion and, you know, we don't have emotion either. <laughs> and, uh, and again, that's not, not to lay any blame. You know, my parents were, were also born in the twenties and it, it's a very different thing. Yes. Um, completely
1: agree. Yeah. I also really credit my husband for taking me on the personal growth journey. I can credit myself for us getting into couples therapy when we were dealing with the infertility because we hadn't done that before and given the handbook around that too, at least for my parents generation one one did not do that but we did and i believe it saved our marriage so that was encouraging and then patrick got very engaged in personal growth work and i'm forever indebted to him for being on the journey with me Mm -hmm. um it's not easy. I don't think anyone who's in any kind of relationship would say it's easy. If if there aren't any dings on your relationship after more than six months, I gotta wonder what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful to him, as it sounds like you are. It's great to have a partner on the road.
0: It is, and you know, I really loved your honesty in that regard as well. You know that, um, you know, we we love Patrick. Patrick is.
1: We don't know Patrick,
0: but we also, as much as we love you, we love Patrick. <laughs> um, I'll tell him that. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and it, and it is because you are both so honest and understanding of one another on this journey when, you know, travel, let alone living abroad as expats, can, can either bring people together or can truly tear you apart because it's an added layer of stress on a relationship. I
1: completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something we've had to learn as, as ongoing is as, uh, more advice to my younger self, be a lot more honest in my conversations with my partners. Uh, that took me a long time. That's still a struggle for me. I'm very conflict avoidance. I would mm-hmm. rather uh, single-handedly make everything better as opposed mm-hmm. to saying that I have a problem. But Patrick holds my feet to the fire on that one. He's definitely someone who's willing to go in Uh, and and work on it. And Mm -hmm. it really does make a difference. So you're right. Again, if I could go back in time, I don't want to give back my life, but I would have been a lot more uh, straightforward in my conversations. And I believe Patrick would have been too. But it Mm -hmm. does take someone who's willing to meet, I think, if not in the middle, uh, come towards the middle, and then meet wherever we can. Uh, I do believe that's what it's all about. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Uh, And I I think that leads me also to think about, you know, towards later in the book, you talk about this difference that you are discovering between compassion and benevolence.
1: Oh, that woman saved my life.
0: Wow. Would you tell us how you see this difference and and that experience of learning about compassion and benevolence.
1: Hmm. Uh, For people who haven't read the book yet, it really came up when my dad was nearing the end of his life. And after a lifetime of being a very gentle, very kind, uh, smart, silly, wonderful person was becoming really desperate and sad and scared uh, and very hard to be around sometimes because I went out to see him if not every day every other day which was my pleasure but he was getting very very demanding when are you coming why aren't you staying why and it wasn't the dad I knew it was the dad I had in his mid-90s and I was trying to be compassionate towards that and I really didn't understand why I was so exhausted uh, spending time with someone I loved so much and so another wonderful therapist said to me you know you don't need to worry about being compassionate that's part of who you are but when you go Margaret into compassion overdrive I can no longer trust you because it's no longer about the other person you're trying to soothe yourself and that really hit a bullseye because I could see that I was trying to compassion my way through this, to fix it somehow through my extreme powers of compassion. Uh, and she said, What you need is benevolence, which comes from benevolere volere, to wish someone well, but not compassione, to be in their, really their distress. And I started to practice that with my dad, which was very, very hard because I really wanted him to know how beloved he was, but I had to admit he knew that from me. And so I started to wish him well and at the end of a visit, walk out the door to my own life. That was very, very hard to do. But I also now still exercise that muscle when I can feel myself going to the old story of if I'm just more compassionate, I can fix this. I can make this better. I can control this. No, I can't. I mean, uh, my control really ends. Here's my arms. Um, That's the circle of control I'm in charge of. So I really benefited from trying to use benevolence in all of my relationships, actually. So Patrick knows that if he's having One of his moments, he's a much more dramatic person than I am. He would be happy with me saying that. He knows it to be true. Mm -hmm. I will just think benevolence, allow him, wish him well, let him have his experience. I don't need to be in that with him. I don't need to fix any, there's nothing to fix. So that did, that was another one of the life-changing moments. So I'm grateful to yet another beautiful guide on the way.
0: Mm. That is a piece that, that really uh, hit very deeply for me as well. Um, This notion, you know, what I do in my work and it is because it is who I am is, is I do believe that we can all develop our compassion, our sense of compassion through reading, through seeing the lives of others, um, through understanding ourselves. And yet there is this double edged sword to compassion, which I have found myself on many times in terms of, as you say, um, trying to save or going beyond and sacrificing oneself in the name of compassion. Mm. Um, you know, my mother had Alzheimer's, and that's, mm. um, you know, where, when you were reflecting on how it was to be with your father when his personality had changed late in life. And, you know, in Alzheimer's, a personality changes completely and, and to not take that on. And it's, it's such a process. And I didn't have another word. Uh, And now Mm -hmm. I do. And benevolence is really, um, it's a powerful one.
1: Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry about your mom because Mm. I, it must be unbearable sometimes to see someone's personality. You, you don't have the person that you had before. Mm-hmm. So the challenge to st- try to st- try to stay present with the person how they are, not how I wish them to be.
0: It's yeah. hard. So I'm
1: sorry for what you experienced.
0: Oh, thank you. It, it was a huge journey, you know, um, uh, you know, as it is for all of us to watch our parents age. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if we are lucky enough to have them uh, into their elderly years Um, and and being far away adds its own challenge as well. You know, you were living overseas and traveling back and forth and um, that puts, you know, stresses on your marriage and your own individuality of trying to deal with this um, caring for and watching parents age and die. Um, is a very um, universal experience, I think, no matter what the situation.
1: I think so, too. And I, I do consider it a privilege, but not not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really do think mm-hmm. a big love means a, a big loss and a lot of pain. I think that was another uh part of our travels that was so impactful to me was to go to india and as i described being in Varanasi, and we weren't there very long but to really feel that people were taking their loved ones all the way home Mm -hmm. i thought that's what i want to do it's not going to be easy but i didn't want to turn away i didn't want to plastic wrap anything i wanted to do that. So Mm -hmm. in terms of, again, another culture that profoundly changed my life, that, that experience quickly changed me from scurrying to try to make things better, to not try to make things better, but to be really present and take my mom, be a part of taking my mom all the way home.
0: Mm -hmm. That is yes. The, the, profound experiences we can find in seeing the way other cultures deal with certain things. Um, and as you say, it's almost instantaneous when we can connect exactly. with it. To Our eyes are immediately opened and we can see very differently than we've ever seen before.
1: You know, thank you for saying that because honestly, in writing the book, there were several times when I was concerned that it would feel too instantaneous that -hmm. readers would not believe that my eyes could be opened in that way that in a moment. And I had several times where my eyes were opened in a different way in one instance um, by, as you say, the way another culture experiences and addresses and lives life. So I'm very grateful that you said that because I did worry that people would say, really? Really? you know, you see one day mm. in Varanasi Bar- and your life has changed?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I do believe it is the absolute um, incredible power of travel, of being elsewhere. And I do think we can find it in books. Um, and I do think I did find it in your book as well. You know, there's this experience of the universal being personal and the personal mm. being universal. And it's like this infinity loop and the other is us and we are the other. Um, Thank you. Well, wow, That's, that's humbling. Thank you for saying that. No, I, it's my pleasure. It's, it's how I feel. It's what I, what I took from your book and I, I truly so appreciate you you writing it, Uh, I was one of the readers all along saying, (laughs) write in the journal. And, uh, and of course, you know, I'm saying that to myself as well. Um, All along the way, as many of us are, you know, do what, what we want to do and, and live our lives. Um, Mm. And you give us the permission and the courage to to begin doing that wherever we are on our journey.
1: Well, if I've contributed in any way to that, I am deeply, deeply grateful.
0: Yeah, no, we are grateful to you. Thank you. So thank you, Margaret, for this this thank wonderful you. book, Bravish. Um, it's it really was impactful for me um, as as books are <laughs> when we take the time to take them in but but it takes it takes skill and courage and uh, and as a reader I appreciate that.
1: Well I thank you in return this is a fantastic conversation and I do feel that we as we agreed are probably separated at birth yes. and um, I, I really hope that this is the beginning of a much much longer and deeper conversation also with your fellow readers as I say I love. What you're bringing to the world, I believe in your mission. I believe in your why. I think you're making the world a better place, and I uh, I really appreciate that. So thank you for that, and thank you for today.
0: Thank you so much, and thank you. You know, to everyone who is listening or watching, you will find Margaret's bio, website, links to her book in the show notes. Uh, I truly encourage you to to rush out and buy it ideally from your independent bookstore. um, But of course, anywhere it's available. Ask your library as well. Truly, it's important to to promote our libraries. Um, They provide such an incredible service. Um, And we would love it if you have any reflections on this conversation on Margaret's book to put them in a comment on YouTube to reach out via my website, intralingo.com or via Margaret's website and social media, because um, it truly is about connecting and sharing and exchanging views. So we do hope you will do that. Again, thanks, Margaret. And uh, and I'm certain that this won't be your last book. I hope it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
1: not and, today, but yes, I yes. I look forward to the next book too.
0: <laughs> For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Launch this one and get it out into the world first. But good luck as well with your, your live lit um, storytelling. And uh, what a pleasure that would be one day to listen to it in person.
1: I look forward to that thanks again so much lisa and thanks to intralingo i really appreciate today
0: yeah it's our pleasure